All right, we're back on the grace and faith. I started this last week as Bible marking, and when it was over, Sandy came and spoke to me and Larry, and she said something along the lines, based on this, I might not be saved. And Larry offered to study with her, and they had a study Monday night, and she ended up being baptized, and we were very thankful for that. But Larry and I had a discussion after that, and it was dealing with the fact sometimes when you deal with very pointed things and you deal with false doctrines that are taught in the religious world, some people are just worried, oh, we might offend people. We can't do that. You, you might offend people. But what it showed was somebody who has an honest heart, when they see that, they look at it and they respond by saying, hey, I need to comply with the Bible and make things right. And so that's the effect that you want when teaching people the truth, is you're not worried about offending them, you're worried about saving them. And uh, that's exactly what we're shooting for. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick up what we did last week, I'm going to run through it uh, quickly, and then we're going to continue. This was dealing with the subject of a Bible marking that I was assigned at Polishing the Pulpit. I'd never done a Bible marking before, but my assignment was grace, and particularly they wanted me to deal with errors relating to grace. And so I pointed out that when it comes to grace, there are two main errors. The first one is what I called irresistible grace. This is very popular. It's held by the Reformed Church. Men like R.C. Sproul hold to this. It is sometimes called the effectual calling. The idea behind irresistible, irresistible grace is pure Calvinism. That is, God has chosen some people to be saved, and other people are not the chosen. If you are chosen, there's nothing you can do about that. You will be saved. If you are not chosen, there's nothing you can do about that. And when God chooses you, when you reach that point, the Holy Spirit will enlighten you and enable you to have faith, and then you will. You will have faith, and there's nothing you can do about that, and you will be saved. I won't uh, rehash it all. The second is what I called grace-only Faith only. This is more common. This is what is believed by many mainstream denominations. And it is the idea that on God's part, it is grace alone, but on man's part, it is faith alone. That is, at the moment, you have the ability to search and to respond. And if you do, you can be saved. And if you don't, you will be lost. And the idea is, as soon as you have faith, you're saved. That's it. Now, I've heard some say, well, you have to confess or you have to say a prayer. So they would say something a little bit beyond faith. But the idea is at the point of belief, you are saved. And I gave some examples of a number of people that have called me over the years and um, argued about the idea of faith only. And I pointed out that one of the important things that you have to do when talking to people about grace only and faith only and obedience, and how that enters into the picture is you have to define your terms. And so I said when defining the word faith, it is used at least three different ways in the Bible. You've got the word faith that is used for belief. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, but without faith, it's impossible to please Him. That simply means belief. Secondly, the word faith sometimes refers to the faith. Very frequently, the Bible refers to 
the faith. Ephesians 4 and verse 5 says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That doesn't mean one belief. It's one system of faith. God has one system of faith in the Bible. Frequently, when it's referred to this way, it will have the definite article, the, the faith, but not always. Sometimes you have to look at the context. And I want to remember to tell you something about that when we get to Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Thirdly, there is faith in the sense of conscience. That is Romans 14, 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats meat offered to idols because he does not eat from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. When he's talking about the meat offered to idols, this is not a matter mandated by God. He said some people can do it and they know that it's nothing and it's okay. Other people can't do it because it's a matter of faith, not a matter of conviction based on the Word of God, not a matter of the faith, but it's a matter of personal conscience. So personal conviction, sometimes we say scruples. Secondly is works. The term works is used in different senses in the Bible. You have works that are works of the law of Moses. You have works of personal merit. You have works of obedience. All three of these are discussed, and I'm not going to go through them again. Then you have grace. The term grace is used in different senses in the Bible. We usually refer to grace when we're talking about salvation, and we refer to unmerited favor. But that's not the way it's always used. In fact, it was uh, in the Scripture reading this morning, it was used in one of these alternate methods. And Luke chapter uh, 2 and verse 40, the Bible says the grace of God was upon Jesus. That's not saving grace. Jesus didn't need saving grace. And Colossians 4 and verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. That's not saving grace. It has to do with the kindness and the way we should talk to other people. Then, of course, there is saving grace, oftentimes mentioned in the Bible. Titus chapter 3 and verse 7, we are justified by His grace. And so you've got to understand the difference. Now, one of the things I emphasize with people when you're talking about grace, you want to lay this down before you get any further in the discussion, and that is the fact that grace is not just a feeling in the mind of God. When we are told that God saved us by His grace, what do we mean by that? Somebody tell me. How are we saved by the grace of God? Listen to this, John 1, 17, For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. How did God's grace come by Jesus Christ? What's that? He sacrificed Himself. God left heaven and came in the form of a man and lived for 30 plus years and died on the cross for us. All of those things involve the grace of God. In fact, if you look at the entire Old Testament and the entire New Testament, all of that was the grace of God. Everything that happened, the whole system, the whole scheme of redemption is the grace of God. So when you think of grace, don't just think God had kindness in His heart. God had kindness in His heart, but it had to display itself. It had to do something to save us. And His grace was acted out or performed through the whole system or scheme of redemption. All right, then we started what I called the chain 
of grace. And I pointed out to you, anytime you do a Bible chain, you've got to have what's called an anchor verse. For me, I try to pick the first verse that comes to my mind when I'm thinking of that subject. If it's baptism, probably Acts 2.38 or Mark 16.16. 16. For grace, I suggested to you that you do Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Why did I pick that one? It's the first one that comes to my mind, and it's probably the most common in all of the Bible. If you want some other verses, I listed a few of those for you. Ephesians 2.5, Acts 15.11, Romans 3.23. Those are all verses that speak to the fact that we are saved by grace. If you make Ephesians 2.8 and 9 your anchor or your starting verse, I point out three things. Number one, this verse says we are saved by grace. Nobody's going to argue with that because that's what it says. Number two, it does not say grace alone. You need to establish that. And then number three, I ask, how are we saved by God's grace? Then we go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, where the Bible says, God has saved us and called us through a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Jesus Christ. He saved us by His grace, which came through Jesus Christ. So whatever this grace is, it came through Jesus Christ. And then notice what it says, before time began. What does that mean? God already had this plan for His grace before He created this world. He already knew what He was going to do. And then the next verse, and what you do, and I said this last week, but I'll go ahead and mention it. The idea of the chain is at Ephesians 2.8, underneath it, you write 2 Timothy 1.9. When you get to 2 Timothy 1.9, underneath that, you write Revelation 13.7. Underneath Revelation 13.7, you'd write the next verse, and you follow this chain to, to lead someone through teaching. Revelation 13.11 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship Christ, whose names have not been written in the book of uh, the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, what's the point of that? Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In the previous verse, we noticed that Christ was given by the grace of God before time began. The Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Whatever this grace is, it relates to Jesus dying. It relates to Him being the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Your next verse you're going to write is John 1 and verse four, uh, 17. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what have we established? The grace part, for by grace are you saved, that involved God's part, and it involved God doing something. Next verse, Hebrews 2 and verse 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So, what did Jesus do by grace? How did God save me by His grace? He died for me. It was the suffering of His death. God saved us by Jesus Christ but Christ did it. That is the grace. And then we notice the fact that it says He tasted death for everyone. That answers the first error. 
irresistible grace says that God extended His grace just for a select few. He chose some to be saved and some to be lost. But this verse says He tasted death for everyone. And then we ran through uh, a few verses that show that. These are sub-verses. You can write those. That's why I, I always like to get, before I started using the computer, I always like to get a Bible that's got some space in between the verses so you can write. In fact, um, the Bible that I still use today, I bought in 1994, so 29 years ago. And I go back and I got one of these little fine pencils with the little tip for writing in the Bible, and I could write really, really small. The thing that I found 30 years later is I can't read that. And so I've got all these notes that I've written, and I have no clue what they say anymore. So uh, this this helps because you can blow up the the letters to whatever size you want. And I've got a nice big, I think, 18-point font now. So when you run through the verses, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor, not just some. You've got John 3, 16. We know that, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What did He do by His grace? He gave His Son that whosoever believeth in Him, not just a select few, any of them. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4, God desires all men to be saved. Not just the select few, but all. Second Peter 3 and verse 9, the Lord's not slack concerning His promise. He's not willing that any should perish. How can you reconcile the idea that God gave His Son for all, He's not willing that any should perish, but then He arbitrarily chose just a few to be saved and a few to be lost? or many to be lost. That doesn't make any sense. All right, for by grace are you saved. And here's the next verse. This is where the rubber meets the road. Titus 2 and verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Some versions, in fact the old American standard says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. God's grace appeared bringing salvation to all people? What does that mean? Not everybody's saved. So what does it mean He's bringing salvation to all people? What it means is God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in Him. That's exactly what it means. The salvation is there for all of the world, for whosoever will believe. But here's the next verse and here's the problem. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 Enter by the narrow gate, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in thereat. Narrow is the gate, difficult is the way that leads to life. Few there be that find it. Now here's the dilemma. God's grace appeared to all men, but most people are not going to be saved. If we're saved by grace that uh, God has put out there for all men but only some are going to be saved. Why is that? How do you reconcile that? And the answer has to do with the fact that there is a second part to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, that's God's part, have you been saved? God's grace was for everybody, but not everybody is going to be saved. Why? Because for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, 
I told you I wanted to remember this so I could come back and tell you this. I didn't mention it last week, but in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace have you been saved through faith. I told you the word faith can be used in three different senses. There's actually probably four or five if you really want to get technical, but the three main ones, which type of faith is this? Out of the three that I listed, which faith is this in Ephesians 2, 8? What do you think? Belief. That's typically the way we teach it. And I teach it that way uh, because that's the one that I think this refers to. But did you know in some ancient manuscripts it has the definite article the in front of it? Some manuscripts say, for by grace uh, you have been saved through the faith. How would that change it? What is the faith? Okay, there's only one faith, Ephesians 4, 5. So that would mean the gospel system of faith. So if this is referring to faith in the sense of the faith and not your personal faith, what you would have is, for by grace God saves you through the gospel system of faith, through the, through Christianity. That is, God through His grace gave you this system. Now, let's think if that's the right interpretation and let's read through the verse assuming that that's right because some brethren take it that way. I'm torn about the manuscript evidence on this. For by grace you have been saved through the gospel system of faith that not of yourselves... You didn't come up with that. You didn't create the gospel system of faith. God gave it to you by His grace. It is a gift of God, not of works. You didn't create this. You didn't design it. It's not a system that man came up with and designed whereby he, he uh, can, can save himself from his sins, lest any man should boast. So what that would mean is this is a system of salvation given to you by God through Jesus Christ and His death, and this is how you can be saved. God designed it. God was gracious. He gave it to you. Now you follow it. You didn't come up with it, and if you had, it wouldn't have done any good. It might mean that if it is the faith, if the definite article should be there. If it should not be there, then I believe that personal faith would... Um, be a synecdoche, like it so oftentimes is in the Bible, and that is faith represents everything that you have to do. For by grace, that is God's active grace that did something, you have been saved through faith, that is your active faith that does something. It's interesting to me how they parallel each other. Grace is not just in the mind of God, but it did something. If grace had just stayed in the mind of God and He didn't follow through and didn't send Jesus Christ for us, the system wouldn't work. And then we are saved by faith. If we just have faith and we don't do anything, likewise, it will not work. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. All right? The next thing that I'm pointing out is on the divine side, grace is operative. On the human side... 
Faith must be operative. And I've given several verses for that. Romans 16, 26 speaks about the commandment that God made for the obedience of faith. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith which works by love. Faith works. Faith has to do something. In other words, faith has to be operative. Acts 8 and verse 12, but when they believed Philip, they were baptized. Why? Because their faith had to do something. It had to be operative. John 12, 42, and I think this is about where we ran out of time last week. We read about some people who had faith only, mental assent, but they did not follow through. Listen what the Bible says. Nevertheless, amongst the, the rulers, many believed in him. That was faith only, mental assent only. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. That is, their faith did not follow through and do something. They did not confess Him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They believed. They, that's the Greek word pistuo. They believed. They had mental assent, but they did not let it become operative. Therefore, it was not saving faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved. That's God's part. It's operative. He sent His Son. He was crucified through faith. That's our part. It too is operative. It expresses itself in obeying God. That's why James 2.26 says faith without works of obedience is dead. Now, it is common for people to go to Ephesians 2.8 to teach exactly the opposite. That's why we're looking at it anyway. Perhaps you've discussed uh, with someone the necessity of baptism. And they'll say, no, no. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. They'll say, see, it is faith. It is not of you. It is not of works. Baptism is a work. How do you respond to that? First, I point out there are different types of works in the Bible. In Romans chapter 4, there is one type of work that saved Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. There's a type of uh, faith that saves you. But in James chapter 2, we're told Abraham was not saved by faith only, but by works. So there is a type of faith that saved and there's a type of faith that didn't. There's a type of works that didn't save and a type of works that did. And so we have to ask the question, which type of works are being discussed? There are three different types of works mentioned in the Bible. Works of the law of Moses, those don't save. They never did save. Works of personal merit, those don't save. They never have saved. And then you have works that are works of obedience. In other words, it's a response to doing what God said to do. That's James 2.22. By works, we are saved. And really, he answers the question in Ephesians 2.8 of what kind of works he's talking about because he says, lest any man should boast. The type of works he's talking about are the type that you might brag about. I earned it. I deserve this. This is on my own personal merit. He says those, those kind of works won't save you no matter what you do you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't create your own system. But does that preclude baptism? 
Now, I, I might have gotten a little further because I might have said this last week. I speak so many different places anymore, I can't remember where I said what. But someplace I spoke, I said this last week, it's an interesting side point that out of all of the steps of the plan of salvation, baptism is the only one that it's not something that you do. It is something that you submit to. I see some heads nodding. I must have said that. Baptism is passive. When you think about this, when you have to believe, you have to do that. When you have to repent, you have to do that. When you confess, you have to do that. But when it comes to baptism, it's written in Greek and in English in a passive form, be baptized. It's something you submit to. It's not something that you do. It's not a work you do. It's something that God said to do, and you agree to comply with what He said. I find that very, very interesting. It's also interesting to me that people will argue against baptism on the basis of Ephesians 2.8 because they will say that baptism is a work and we are saved by faith, not by works. But faith is actually described as a work. In John chapter 6 and verse 28, the people said, What shall we do that we may do, that we may work the works of God? And in verse 29, Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Jesus said, Belief is a work. Now, I've had people who will try to squirm out of that and they'll say, Well, this is a work of God. Notice he said, This is the work of God. But Jesus said, this is the work that God wants you to do. That's the sense in which it was the work of God. It came from God. This is the work, he says, that God wants you to do. Believe. Belief is a work. There is no way around it. I could give you some other verses as well, but that one's clear. Now, what's the point? Ephesians 2 and verse 8 doesn't forbid works of obedience. Faith is a work of obedience, according to John 6, 29. It doesn't forbid submitting to things that God said to submit to. It is telling us you can't earn your salvation and you can't deserve your salvation. It doesn't say you can't submit to it and accept God's... He said... So... What does Ephesians 2 and verse 8 mean? For by that involves everything that God said to do through faith. What does that mean? God said, this is how you receive it. And you've got to do that in order to receive it. So go back to our chain. How are we saved through grace? That's the plan of redemption. Christ dying, the establishment of the church. Now, how does grace work with faith. The first time that grace appears in the Bible is actually in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. First time you ever see the word grace. It is mentioned in connection with Noah. The Bible says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now here's the question. In Genesis 6, what did grace do for Noah? This is what it did. Grace told Noah how to be saved. God came to Noah and He said, I'm going to destroy the earth, but by my grace I'm going to tell you what you need to do. He said, you need to build an ark. 
You need to build it out of gopher wood. It needs to have a window, a door. You need to pitch it within and without, 30 cubits, 50 cubits, 300 cubits. Build it to these specifications. And then the last verse says this, Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. I want you to think about that. He was saved by God's grace, but Noah did all that God commanded him. Now, wait a minute. Why did he have to do, to do something if he was saved by grace? Noah, what are you doing building an ark? Why do you have a hammer? Why do you have a saw? What do you call Noah building an ark? What do you call that? All right? Look at this. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7 says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved in godly fear, and he prepared an ark. By faith, he prepared an ark. What is the definition of his faith? Okay. Okay. He heard the message, and what did faith cause him to do? It moved him to do what? Build the ark. Let me ask you this. What if Moses had just had mental assent, that is, I believe what God said to do. By grace, God has given me this plan and I believe it. I'm not going to build the ark. If I build an ark, that would be like me saving myself. I mean, if I get out there and I've got the hammer and the nails and I hire the, this crew and I build an ark, that would be me saving myself. Could you see somebody arguing that? I could see somebody arguing that. But that wasn't him saving himself. He had to do quite a lot in order to exhibit his faith. I'm hearing kind of a, a weird feedback. Is that just because I'm spitting or something? I don't know. Um, he had to do quite a lot, but what he did was because God said that wasn't him saving himself. Now, if God had said, Noah, there's going to be a flood, and Noah thought, hmm, tell you what, got my sons together, we got a plan. We're going to build an ark, and it's going to float for a year above. In fact, my sons, they're some good boat builders, and you know they fish a lot, they know how to do this. If Noah had come up with that, and Noah said, I'm going to do it, that would be Noah saving himself. But let me ask you this question. If Noah had come up with that himself, do you think that ark would have floated through the flood? I don't believe for a second that that ark would have floated. I don't believe it. I don't think he would have known the proper dimensions. And besides that, when he got all the animals in the ark, how did Noah manage to round up all these animals? If you go back and read it, it says that the Lord brought these animals to him. Noah couldn't have done this by himself. If he'd have built it by himself, it wouldn't have done him any good. Is it true to say that Noah was saved by faith? Yeah, that's what this verse says. When was he saved by faith? When he did what God said to do. And if he had not done what God said to do, you could not say that he had faith. Or it'd be the type of faith that is described in James 2, faith without works of obedience. That's the type of works there, faith without works of obedience. Without following through and doing what God said to do, is dead. Here's another example. And I've got, I've got way, I've got like 10 examples that we can go through, but I, I won't do that to you this morning. But 
Here is another example. This relates to Exodus chapter 14. In Exodus 14, there arose another king, another pharaoh in Egypt, who did not know Joseph. That is to say, the descendants of Joseph had been respected by one pharaoh because of Joseph. But now, there's a different king in Egypt. And he looks at the Hebrew people and he says, there's a lot of these Hebrew people, and he views them as a threat. And so what he does is he makes them a slave and they live in bondage for hundreds of years, and finally they start calling out to God for mercy, help us God, show us your grace. God, by His grace, sends a deliverer to them whose name is Moses. Moses comes and he brings, uh, because of God, he brings the plagues, you know, the, the uh, water to, to blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, moraine of cattle, hell, locust, darkness, death, firstborn... And Pharaoh had his heart hardened, but eventually, at the death of the firstborn, he breaks down and he says, go, get out of here, leave. And so Moses leads the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And you've got a lot of people. I don't know how many. Some people have estimated over a million people. And they're traveling along, and it's slow and laborious. And Pharaoh has a change of mind. Pharaoh changes his heart, and he decides... I'm not going to put up with this. And he sends his troops and his chariots to go after them. 600 chariots and footmen take off after the Israelites and they get to the Israelites, they're trying to escape, and they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And it's huge. And they can't cross it. And they look back and here comes the Egyptian armies. And the people begin to murmur. And they're complaining, and they said, we could have died back there in Egypt. Why would you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? And Moses tells them, here's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 14. Listen to this closely and see the grace of God. The Lord will fight for you. Hold your peace. And he says to Moses, God says to Moses, lift your rod, lift your hand, and the waters will part. I would love to have seen that. Can you imagine what that was like? And the waters just part, and it's dry land, and God is a pillar of fire on the Israelite side. He's a pillar of darkness on the Egyptian side. He opens the Red Sea, and He tells them, you go across it, and the people did. They crossed the Red Sea. The question is, what do we call that? Now, we know none of us would deny that God saved them. Would you agree with that? God saved them, and He did it by His grace. The opening of the Red Sea was a manifestation of the grace of God. It was unmerited favor. They certainly had not merited it because they were sorry. But God, by His grace, did something. He parted the Red Sea. But what do you call the people walking across on the Red Sea? Here you go. Hebrews 11 and verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. What do you call them walking through the Red Sea? You call that saving themselves? They were doing something. Was that a work when they walked through on the Red Sea? Yeah, it was a work. Was it a work of the Law of Moses? No, they didn't have the Law of Moses yet. Was it a work of personal merit? 
Would you say that this was personal merit that saved them when they walked through on the Red Sea? Why'd they do it then? Because God said to do it. Were they saved by grace when they walked through on the Red Sea? Or walked through the dry land? Yeah, they were saved by grace. God parted the Red Sea. They didn't do that. That had nothing to do with them. God provided the plan. Now He said, walk across it. What if they had said, we believe you, Lord. We believe we can do it. We believe it's not going to crash in. But that's all we got to do. You just transport us. Would they have been saved from the Egyptians? The Bible says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea on dry land. I've got about 10 of these. Just going through Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the hall of faith. And the Bible says, by faith they did this, by faith they did this, by faith they did this. You'll see over and over, by faith they did, they did, they did, they did. Why? Because faith without works is dead. You can go through Hebrews chapter 11 and just show what... In fact, that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 11, to show what faith is. Was that the five-minute sign? All right, five minutes. So we got five minutes left. You can go through Hebrews chapter 11 and you can show what faith is. The conclusion is this. God saves men by His grace, not just mental grace, not just grace in the heart of God, but grace that He acted out at great expense and sacrifice and works on His part. And then He tells us that we have to do the same. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, I didn't put this up there, but you could, says that the day that God comes in judgment, He's going to take vengeance on those who did not obey God. You mean to be spared on the day of judgment? I will have to have obeyed God? I thought I didn't have to do anything. I thought I was saved by faith only. If I'm saved by faith only, why is He going to take vengeance on those who do not follow through in obedience. You've got to do something more than just have mental assent. How do we express that today? How do we express an obedient faith? I hear, believe, repent, confess, and I'm baptized. So when I'm baptized today, can I say, that's me saving myself? I did something to earn that. If I'm baptized, I did something to earn that. If I had come up with the idea of baptism, yeah, I could probably say that. If I said, there's power in the water to save, yeah, I could maybe say that. But when the Lord said, I'm going to save people by my grace, but not just everybody's going to be saved, only certain people who comply. Romans 6, 3 and 4, when you're buried with baptism, you are raised to walk in newness of in the blood. That's what you have to do. If you do it, if you'll express your faith and do that, then I'll wash in the blood of Jesus. If you won't, I won't. All right, we have about a minute or two here. I want to hit some common and difficult passages. Let's say that you're talking with someone and you've gone through this whole chain and they want to spend time on Romans 4 and verse 3, pretend you're in a Bible study, and your friend brings this up, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. 
THEY FREQUENTLY WILL USE THIS AS A FAITH-ONLY PASSAGE, AND SOMETIMES THEY'LL ADD VERSE 5. IT SAYS, BUT TO HIM WHO DOES NOT WORK, BUT BELIEVES ON HIM, WHO JUSTIFIES THE UNGODLY, HIS FAITH IS ACCOUNTED FOR RIGHTEOUSNESS. WHAT'S THE MEANING OF THAT PASSAGE? HE WHO BELIEVES GOD, HIS FAITH IS ACCOUNTED TO RIGHTEOUSNESS. IS THIS FIRST TEACHING SALVATION BY FAITH WITHOUT ANY TYPE OF WORKS OF OBEDIENCE? FIRST THING I WOULD REMIND YOU IS THIS EXACT SAME INCIDENT IS MENTIONED. THIS IS A QUOTE FROM GENESIS 15-6. THIS EXACT SAME INCIDENT IS MENTIONED IN JAMES CHAPTER 2. AND THERE, HE SAYS IN JAMES 2-21, WAS NOT ABRAHAM OUR FATHER JUSTIFIED BY WORKS? WHAT'S HE MENTIONING? HE WAS JUSTIFIED BY WORKS. HOW IS THAT? AND BY WORKS, FAITH WAS MADE PERFECT. THE WORD PERFECT THERE IS TELEOS. IT'S A GREEK WORD THAT MEANS COMPLETE. HIS FAITH WAS COMPLETED. WHEN? WHEN HE FOLLOWED THROUGH IN OBEDIENCE. AND SO NOT ALL WORKS ARE BEING CONDEMNED IN ROMANS CHAPTER 4. IN FACT, IF YOU'LL STUDY DILIGENTLY, THE TYPE OF WORKS THAT HE'S TALKING ABOUT IN ROMANS 3 AND 4 ARE WORKS OF THE LAW OF MOSES. THAT'S THE WHOLE CONTEXT. WHY IS HE BRINGING THAT UP? BECAUSE THE JEWS WERE TELLING THE PEOPLE IN ROME, IF YOU'RE GOING TO BE SAVED, YOU GOT TO GO BACK AND FOLLOW THE LAW OF MOSES. SPECIFICALLY, WHAT WAS IT THEY WERE HAMMERING? DO YOU REMEMBER? CIRCUMCISION. THEY WERE SAYING, YOU CAN BE A CHRISTIAN, BUT YOU GOT TO KEEP SOME OF THE law, LAWS OF MOSES. PARTICULARLY, YOU'VE GOT TO BE SAVED, YOU'VE GOT TO BE CIRCUMCISED. AND HE IS POINTING OUT, ABRAHAM WASN'T CIRCUMCISED. ABRAHAM BELIEVED GOD. IT WASN'T WORKS. WHAT WORKS IS HE TALKING ABOUT? THE TYPE AND THE CONTENT. THEY WERE TRYING TO GO BACK TO THE LAW OF MOSES. ALL RIGHT? ALL RIGHT, I AM A MINUTE OVER. I'M GOING TO STOP. I'VE GOT SEVERAL OTHER PASSAGES THAT I WANTED TO PICK UP. Uh, GALATIANS 2.16, JOHN 3.16, ACTS 16.31, SO MAYBE WE'LL PICK UP ON THOSE. NEXT WEEK I'M GOING TO BE IN CHARLESTON, SOUTH CAROLINA IN A GOSPEL MEETING, SO uh, JOSH WILL BE TEACHING. IF HE WANTS TO TAKE THESE VERSES AND RUN WITH THEM, HE CAN. OTHERWISE, I'LL PICK THEM UP IN TWO WEEKS. THANK YOU VERY MUCH.